Last week we began a short message series I titled Imagine. And God, our Heavenly Father, creator of everything good, created everything to be good. And we began last week by looking at the story of creation, the Garden of Eden, this perfect paradise that God had created for mankind to enjoy, and and heaven, this new Jerusalem, paradise again, the perfect place where we get to return to God's presence. And last week we studied and imagined what the world would look like if we managed it and maintained it and treated it and viewed it as God created it to be. And this morning we're going to imagine what life on this planet would be like if we managed our lives and our relationships and viewed others and ourselves as God created us to be. But as a recap, God created everything and called it good. Remember this from Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then he concluded that day, what the Bible calls the day, and reflected it on it in Genesis 1.31. He says, God saw all that he had made. And this is the, the end of creation, all six days. He said, he saw everything he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Everything God created was good, and he was pleased And the resounding theme is that everything was divinely made by the one who has both power and purpose and everything is good. God's definition of good, which means that it was pure and faultless, the land, the water, the sky, the animals, even you, pure and faultless is the way you were made. We know what happened to God's perfect creation. We've fallen, right? Not because he created us flawed, Rather, he created us to have free will. And with with this innate desire for something more than ourselves, we want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled. And this desire was created to be instinctive need to seek him so that he can fulfill those needs and those joys in that relationship. But sadly, often we seek other things. Adam and Eve sought knowledge of their own instead of relying on their friend and creator. And as a result broke the only rule that had been asked of them and they were expelled from paradise the paradise that god had created for them and more unfortunate they were removed from god's presence literally this wasn't the last time that god would have to make a tough decision to discipline us for our sins we know the story of noah and the great flood but let's take a few minutes and read it together if you'd like to follow along in your bible it's genesis 6 so the very beginning chapter 6 And I'm going to read beginning at verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Now listen to this. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm gonna skip ahead to, to verse nine here. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, and it said, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. 
I'm surely going to destroy them and the earth. And he says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And he says, verse 15, this is how you are to build it. And he goes on and he's very specific. You know, uh, the ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide. He talks about the roof and the doors and all this stuff, okay? What's interesting here is not just a weekend later go build our own ark to scale, but to show us that God will always provide the way and the instructions. Sometimes it's very specific, sometimes not so much, but God will always give you what you need to do what he's asking you to do, okay? And he, and he, can you continue down a little bit? And he goes to verse 18, says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. And he says, you'll bring into the ark two of every living creature. Now we know this from, from Bible study and Sunday school and VBS, right? The, the animals came Tuesday by twosies. Anybody remember that song? Good, we won't do it, but good, good. And it says in verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now we get to chapter seven. It says, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And skipping ahead, chapter seven, verse 16, the animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God commanded Noah. And the Lord shut him in. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth and the waters increased. They lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath of life and its nostrils died. Every living thing that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Now we're going to go ahead to Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 22. It says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. Bring out every kind of living creatures with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply in the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, all the animals. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed the burnt offerings. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. See, God made a covenant promise with us that he will never again destroy all of creation, even though it may be what we deserve. We know what happened. Our sinful nature continued. In Genesis 19, we find the story of two cities that had become so corrupt and evil that God once again needed to make a major correction. In Genesis 19.13b, it says, The outcry of the Lord against its people was so great that he had sent angels to destroy it. Abraham was a righteous man. Now, he was still going by Abram at this point, but Abraham was a righteous man and sought to save the people from God's wrath. 
If we back up just a few verses into Genesis 18, we find that God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the city completely. And Abraham pleaded with God, replied, he says, if you can, God said, if you can just find 50 people that are righteous, I will save the city. Just 50 people. Abraham probably knew that was going to be a hard task, I'm guessing, because he negotiated, and I love this. He, said, he negotiated 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and finally Abraham says in verse 32, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak with once more. So he's, he's asking God for favors. He's like, don't get mad, because I keep asking these things. So he says, what if only 10 can be found there? And God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. How many do you think there were? Yeah, technically five. Lot. We know the name Lot, right? Lot. Lot and his wife, which didn't turn out well for her, daughters and their husbands, which didn't turn out well for them. But who fled and survived with Lot? Lot and his daughters. And then Genesis 19, 24 through 25. Then the Lord rained down, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. There's the cities from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation. And the story continues a long history of man's fall that still persists today. And hang in there, this is a positive message. But we know from Psalm, it says, if you, Lord, kept record of sins, who could stand? Not one of us, not one of us. Romans 3, 10 through 12, and then I'll pick up on 23. This is Paul's letter. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who deserves good, not even one. For all have sinned, we know this, and fall short of the glory of God. And these words of the Apostle Paul were just his opinion. He's quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 and even Ecclesiastes says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. But remember, God made a covenant promise to never again destroy his creation. So if he can't broadly punish the sinners with immediate death, he can reward the redeemed with eternal life in heaven, with him and with our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So here is the pathway to salvation. This is from 1 John 1, 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the caveat, right? If we say that we are perfect, then, then we're wrong, okay? But here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, okay? And this is that if-then thing we, we often talk about. If we do this, so it's our choice. The if is always on man's side. The then is always on God's because his response is his promise. If we confess, when we confess, then he is faithful and just and will forgive you for your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? You'll become righteous. We know this not because of what you did, but because of his grace. And the truth is that we were created not just to be good, but as something that is good. Our very nature was created to be good, not just to do good things, but to be good people. How do we know what that looks like? Well, I figure we have three choices. You can be the judge, but you won't be accurate. You can let others be the judge of what's good, but they won't be fair. 
or you can know that God is the judge and then you can find peace in his holiness and his promise. I think we can all agree the third is the way that we want to go. So let's find this answer in his word on what God says is good. Who does God say is good? And we've, we've already read about a couple people this morning. Abraham, right? Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him. God credited to him as righteousness because he was faithful and he was, um, you know, loyal to God and, and, and he believed and walked with God. That was good. We know the story of Noah. We just read from Genesis 7 through 8. God said, there is one man. In all of creation, there's one good man. And what was good about him? He listened to his commandments. And Abram, who became Abraham, in Genesis 17, 1, it says, when Abram was, was 99 years old, see, there's still time for God to work in your lives. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Be faithful to me and you'll be blameless. That is good. And Job, poor Job. Job was, again, like a Noah. He was a good man. And, and I'll, I'll paraphrase the story and shorten it greatly. But a lot of bad things happened to Job. He lost his money, his wealth, I mean, his family. And he just tore his clothes out of grief. So he was as naked and his friends and his wife were all saying, just renounce God, you know, just He's obviously not there for you. And what did Job do? This is what he said from Job 1, 21 through 22. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave me and the Lord took away. He's fully accepting that everything he had was the Lord's anyway and it was the Lord's to take away. He says, may the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That is good. When life is good, we give things. When life is rough, we still say God's in control. It was his to begin with. I missed my stuff. I missed the, the times, but God's still got it. And he's got a purpose. May his name be praised. There are others, but I also want you to realize that God also considers you good, thanks to Jesus Christ, through this right righteousness, the if-then we just talked about. It is through him that we are made righteous. And the Bible tells us of many people who, who weren't good or didn't start good, but became good or at least were used for God's purpose. David, King David, the psalmist, the, the one who from his lineage came Jesus Christ. David, we know about his transgressions and God used him. Paul, another one. We know about Paul's transgressions. He persecuted, he, he blasphemed God. And yet he became the most, one of the most powerful contributors to the Bible. If you, if you were to split, this is an old trick. You split your Bible roughly in half, you get Psalms. You split it in half again, you get Matthew. And that is the beginning of the Old Testament. Now, if you look at all the New Testament, you know, the bulk of that was written as letters from one man, Paul. This man who was trying to kill Christians. That's a life changed for good. And a little secret, little life hack if you want it. But as if every single word in the Bible, there's a lesson, a message, a, a guidance, or a comfort. And the stories of people like Paul aren't so you can worship Paul. Like, what a great guy, right? Because in all accounts, he wasn't. And on our Wednesday night buddy, we're starting to reveal, Wednesday night Bible study, we're starting to reveal, there's, there's a little bit of arrogance with this guy, Paul. He's still kind of likable, but I don't know if he would have been a friend of mine. It's just a little, little, a little abrasive for me. 
But it's, it's not the, the point to worship these people. Yes, they did wonderful things for God's kingdom and, and after a really bad start. So there's a powerful story. But these examples are to encourage you and to point you to Jesus Christ and God himself for the glory. In fact, Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you're going to do as I'm doing, if you're following me, it's because I'm following him. When you think about someone that God has done good things for and through, when you think about people that God wanted to and has saved, I hope and pray for that you're able to count yourself among them. God has done wonderful things in your life. What's your story? How will or has he or how will he use you? We're going to talk about this a little more next week and and in a few minutes as well. But we've looked at some examples of people that are good, and, and but what are some of the characteristics? Does the Bible actually say, check, check? And not directly, but there are some, some scripture that give us some basis for these things that God expects from us, in addition to the Ten Commandments. But let's look at Matthew 5.48. And this reminds us that God is, therefore, God is perfect. Therefore, we should pursue a character like God's. That's why we study Old Testament to get to know God. Who is this man, this, this divine creature, that our heavenly father that we are supposed to imitate? It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And the prophets Isaiah and Micah both record God's own words. Isaiah's 117 says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And Micah 6, 8, he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. So listen to this. He says, to act, he says, so what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And last on this just abbreviated list, and certainly not the entire list, from Proverbs 31. This is a great, Proverbs 31 is a great nugget on character. In fact, uh, a lot of women's Bible studies take Proverbs 31, beginning at verse 10, and it talks specifically about a woman of noble character. And we talk about this a lot on Mother's Day. But right before that, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the right of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. These are things that are good. And, of course, we have this model of Jesus Christ. And he modeled a lot of things, but a couple. One is, is generosity. And I'm going to read just a little bit that I started earlier from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. And he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We talked about that a little earlier in our time of giving. And it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your stores of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's why we give. 
Again, not like the worship or honor goes on us, but to him. Follow our example as we follow him. And then at verse 12, it says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you approved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for your for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amazing. So many times we give, we put quarters in for the heifer fund and, and we put change in the, the fish. And there are people on the other side of the world that have never heard of Golden Beach Community Church saying, thank God for this. Thank God for you. Jesus goes on to share the story of the rich young ruler, or the rich in the kingdom of God, sorry. And it's this man, and it says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And this can be found in Luke 18. And I like this, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Now we know Jesus is good, but again, he's putting the glory where it belongs. And he says, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony on your mother and father. And the man says, all this I've kept. Now, it doesn't say that, that Jesus said you haven't, but, he, but Jesus says this. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. He says, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Was Jesus saying that everybody needs to give up everything? Or does everybody need to be willing to give up everything? That's the question you ask at time of offering. But the point was this. Jesus knew what the man was clutching on to as a value. He had done all these other things that we consider hard, but what was hard for this man was the stuff. Verse 23. When he heard this, the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. It's not about the man had so much to lose because the widow, the widow's might, her little bitty penny was everything. She had more to lose. But God made a message out of that too. God says, you know, we're to love. That's what makes us good. First Corinthians 13, one through eight. We know this. We hear this in, in weddings. You know, the definition of good it does not envy. It's kind. It's patient. These are good traits. These are reflections of God, what God made us to be. So imagine a world everyone loves the way we are intended and designed to love, forgives the way that God has designed us and intended for us to forgive. The verse ends with very simply, love never fails. So if there's a struggle there, it's not because love failed. It's because of us. Jesus, in, in, in the example that he led, went on to say, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are called to serve. And sometimes it's difficult to serve, you know? And that's why I think Paul says in Colossians three twenty three, anything you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord. It's hard to love someone. Love them for the Lord's sake. It's hard to forgive someone. Forgive them for the Lord's sake. It's hard to serve someone for whatever reason. Serve him for the Lord's sake. 
The good seek God first. The good take a kingdom perspective on this world. The good trust in God. The good love others as we defined it in 2 Corinthians. The good forgive others. Because when you do this, there's room for goodness. You haven't filled it with this stuff, you know, that gets in the way of this pure creation that God made us to be. But it takes encouragement. We have the Holy Spirit, we have each other. And it takes accountability. Paul's instructions to the early church in Thessalonica are this. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Now that's encouragement because you're doing it right, he's saying. But don't give up. Continue it just as you're doing. In Proverbs, which has these little kernels of wisdom, 27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than a hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Sometimes the truth hurts, right? That's a cliche. It's supposed to make it so warm and fuzzy. But the truth is sometimes people need to hear things from someone they love and trust because we need to all work on being this good person that we are created to be. It's never too late. It's never the wrong thing. And on that note, Proverbs provides all kinds of other wisdom. One, it says, avoid bad company, right? Not necessarily sinners, but certainly bad influences, bad triggers. We know the things that, that put us in that mood, that mindset, that whatever it is. First Corinthians says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And again, Proverbs, walk with the wise and become wise. For the companion of a fool suffers harm. <coughs> Matthew seven sixteen says, by their fruit you will recognize them. These are the goodness in people, right? We're not to distance ourselves, right? Jesus went and hung out with the sinners. Is the first thing that really annoyed the leadership of the time was he's hanging out with the tax collectors and all of that. But that's what we do. But we also know the things that influence us and discourage us and, and trigger us. He says, by your, their fruit you will recognize. And do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No, because a thorn bush doesn't create grapes. Do people pick fig, figs from thistles? No. <coughs> you want good influence? Seek out those of good influence. I just want to share just one or two more thoughts real quick, and then we've got something special coming up. There are things, if we're good, we just absolutely need to avoid and eliminate from our lives, right? James 1 says, you know, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's good advice. But he goes on in Galatians 5.16. Um, it is Paul who talks about the acts of the flesh were to avoid. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I, you don't have, these don't have to be this huge thing. You know, what, what makes impurity doesn't have to be this huge thing. There is subtle impurity that, that counts as not good. Hatred, discord, jealousy. Proverbs 6 says, there are six things the Lord hates. And it goes on, seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked screams, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
Other translations say stirs up conflict between others, between friends, but in the, within the church. God wants us to live in unity and peace. And, and this, any kind of discord is not a good thing. There are good and healthy ways to disagree. But there are so many important things that we agree on. So I just want to encourage you to let the Spirit, the helper that Jesus sent, work within you so that the grace of God, which was given you freely as a gift made possible by Jesus Christ, saves you. Paul says that Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I just want to tell you that God should get the glory for our goodness. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. You see, it's, it's about who you are. You're God's child. And it's about what you do. If you're repenting, if you're learning and you're growing, it matters. And sometimes this is thanks to your circumstances and the people around you. Sometimes it's contrary or despite your circumstances and the people around you. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Now, Becky has come to me, and she's got a song that she wanted to share because it's, it's spoken to her. And, and there's a couple things about this, this song, and she's going to share her meaning. And, and it's, sometimes it's the word of the song. Sometimes it's just the, the, the message that the, the circumstances has presented the boldness and opportunity to share something. So I'm going to step aside for a minute and Becky's going to share something that had some meaning to her. touches my life is this. Every time something has happened to me, I'm gonna cry. For instance, my liver when it was yellow, like the color of straw. My liver was failing, God helped heal me. When I recently had blood work two months ago, my kidneys were gone. Then two weeks ago, when I got it taken again, was told I have pretty blood. To me, that was confirmation that God has his hands on me. When my daughter wanted me to come see Grace, my granddaughter, I sang, Jesus loves me. Grace looked up at me and was trying to sing along with me, even though she couldn't sing. She can't talk yet. I have gone through some fires in my life, not actually fires, but fires within me. So with lyrics of face anything, he is with me. He truly is. When I got baptized because I needed to, 
Things that I have overcome, I won't go back to. Yes, I will always need Jesus. He strengthens me every day. With that said, this is my story. I can relate to this song with all my heart. I'm thankful that my Savior walks me through fires.
Has your fire burned you or made you timid or stopped you in your tracks? Or has that fire refined you? You are changed because of what you go through, because of what God puts you through, because he wants you to be restored, just like he wants to restore earth to creation status. He wants to make you the way he wanted you to be. And this earth, this, this time we have here is our dry run, our practice to get all this stuff worked out and worked through and get it right so we can claim that promise and be reunited with him and walk with him in the garden in person. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. Listen to this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you, have not, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. <coughs> Will your story be like Paul's or David's? Will you own your past, right? We've got it. We've got our past. While making a pursuit of God your future. If you're not sure what that means, let's talk. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He has fully equipped you. He has given you the instructions you need. And it would be my pleasure and the pleasure of anyone in this room to come alongside you and support you and encourage you as you seek him. And if you've already sought him, if you've already been baptized, it's okay to say, God, I need just to rekindle that, restrengthen that a little bit. Nothing brings him more joy than when his children come back along his side. And next week, we're going to talk about this just a little more in depth on our, our personal journey as we go into this. And, and it's kind of going to be full circle back to one of my first messages here and really is, is what I consider to really be the, the basis for my ministry. And that's being third, God first, others second, but don't forget yourself. So we've got some work to do that God has entrusted Jesus to do and Jesus has entrusted us to continue in his good name. And we're just the people to get it done. Let's pray. Father God, creator of everything good, creator of everything to be good. We count ourselves among this. And Lord, we say we're sorry. We repent for where we've frustrated you, where we've let you down. Lord, if there's any bit of of shame that we feel, remind us that that is not from you. You hold us accountable. You convict us of our wrongdoings, but you never condemn us because you love us and you want us to seek you, not to run from you, not to deny you or hide from our sins or owning up anything that we've done, but Lord, to say that we want to redeem that promise. If we confess, when we confess our sins, you are faithful to redeem and restore us to that perfect creation. And that is what we claim. Lord, we thank you for who you are, the kind and just father, the one who defines good, the one who calls us to be good. When you ask for that, we ask your blessing over all of us here this morning, those who are listening online, that we may be changed for what we were reminded of out of your word this morning. Amen.